Let's make a plea before the throne of grace that God will open our ears, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive and be overwhelmed with the presence of His Word, His Spirit, and His gifts. Father, we come before You understanding that the bride of Christ is a gift unto helpless man. Father, may we understand that You have given us Your Word not to confuse us or to confound us, but to draw us into a deeper understanding of how amazing You truly are. Father, let us hear. Let us set aside our preconceived notions and let us see what Your book says. Help us to see. Help us to hear. But Father, I beg You, help us to bow before Your truth that you will be glorified in your people in the oneness and the power of the Most High God. To your praise, to your glory. Amen. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I know all all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing." Okay, we've looked at this in the last three weeks and understanding how it falls between the gifts that were received in chapter 12, how the gift operates in chapter 14, and the atmosphere and the environment that exists for the Christian to do these things is love. All right, and over the last few weeks, I've been trying to share with you what is love. Because we today, we love our dogs, our grandmas, our wives, and our pets, and our jobs with all the same word, and I'm not sure that we don't do it with all the same intensity. And that is not the word that is here. The word that is listed here is not of natural man. Can't be done. It is impossible. I don't care. I have seen humans who are not saved, okay, who have good relationships. They're married and they're happy. skippity doo and all the rest of it. They do not understand agape or agopon. They can't do it. It's impossible. Why? Fruit of the Spirit. Singular fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 is what? Love. And out of that love, you'll see the facets that are manifested of joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long stuff, and all the rest of that stuff, and it all fits in there. Okay, but you've got to get a hold of that. The fruit of the Spirit. One fruit. What is it? Love. And the only way that your spiritual gift can ever work is when the Spirit is producing fruit in your life. Do you hear me? This is not a complicated understanding. It is when you look around. When you look at the bride of Christ today, it is very seldom you will ever see the fruit of the Spirit produced. Uh, We were talking about that this morning in my Sunday school class. I'm looking at Christ-centeredness and the yielding of our life to Christ-centeredness. Okay, and how, how do I do that? Can you do that? No, you can't do it. But Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been, past tense, what? Crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live, I live for Christ, the Son of God who died for me in my place. 
Okay, so when I look at those kind of texts and I back away from it and I say, okay, show me the parameter of this thing, the first thing that I look at in love is it is selfless. Okay, and here's where the fight happens. Okay, hear this and well. It is your will against God's will. That's the fight. You have no ability to love as God does, except for the fact that the people who are truly saved, the love of God has been poured in their hearts by the Spirit of God, and now you should be overwhelmed with wanting Him to be glorified in your actions, your thinking, your motives, and your produce of your life. And I hear people talk about, well, you've got to leave a legacy. You will. I guarantee it. You may not like what you leave, but you will leave one. And the legacy is a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can't do that. I shared with you last week a passion of mine that the only time I ever seen my Lord Jesus expel energy, weep in anguish and in fervor, overwhelmed with what was being done as was he was in where? The Garden of Gethsemane. And he was struggling with one thing. It wasn't demons. It wasn't fallen man. It wasn't the condition of the earth. The sinfulness of man. He was struggling with the will of the Father who sent him. And it wasn't that he didn't know what God's will was. But he knew that he needed God's strength to accomplish what he needed. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you when it's concluding this message. You ever been to the garden? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about your wife or your husband or your boyfriend. I ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking, have you ever gone to the garden and got on your knees, overwhelmed in agony, to weeping because of the will of God in your life? And if you have not, you've never bore fruit. You've never seen the fruit of the Spirit, love. Because I guarantee you, when you start looking your life in front of God's will, it gets painful. It gets painful. Okay? With that as the headline, I want to kind of jump into this. Walking in the Spirit produces what? Love. That is the energy that the gift operates in. And let me explain this to you. It is the only way. What I shared with you, the only way... Listen, you can get up in the morning and do your little Bible reading. I read one out of Psalms. I read one of Proverbs. I read Old Testament text, a New Testament text. And I do my little prayer thing. Go to my little prayer journal. Got that done. Say a little love. Love you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. Love you. You're great. Absolutely. Kiss your wife. Kiss your kids. And give them all a little... We do have your devotions right after. And you'll never walk in love. You can't do it. It's impossible. There's only one way you do it. You bow to the will of God in every thought, every action, and every attitude, and you say, not my will, yours be done. That's hard. That is very hard. Okay? All the activity without love is meaningless. That's all you get. Okay? Listen, this is a warning. I want to share with you something. And read Revelation chapter 3, okay? 
the church in Ephesus. Good theology. Great theology. It was founded by the Apostle Paul. It was on a basis of the original leadership or the disciples of John the Baptist. Phenomenal church. They knew the Nicolaitans. They tested people who claimed to be prophets. Does your doctrine line up? Are you preaching truth? They were astute to the things of God. And yet God says, I have this against you. What was it? You have lost your first love. You know, has anybody here, anybody here ever struggled loving Christians? I mean, some Christians are just like trying to pet a porcupine. Okay? Actually, petting a porcupine may be a little more pleasant. Okay? I, you know, in, in my line of work, it, there's, boy, you can, whew, I don't even want to go there. Too many illustrations. Okay? And yet, why do we keep doing it? Why would anybody keep doing that? My love for Christ compels me. Why? My Bible says that you all were bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus looks at you guys as important. All right? How can I do less? Now, if you want to have fun, go try it. But again, you won't do it unless you go to the garden. If you're not willing to go to your own Gethsemane, you'll never do it. And I'm not saying you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But when you get ready to see him, and you're holding your hands and you'll hand him up a handful of ash. Because what he says here, you can have all the activities you want, and if you do not have love, you've got zero zip nada. Okay? You don't believe that? Do you know what happened? The church in Ephesus was removed. I have this against you. You're not, your doctrinal isn't a problem. You stand, you confront sin, you do everything that you're supposed to do. But you lost your first love. And because you lost your first love, the church in Ephesus was removed and it was never to be re- replaced ever again. It does not exist today. The lampstand was taken out. But they didn't have... No. You're right. Let's look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Stop right there. The best translation should be languages. If I have speech without love... Okay? Now, I like this because this is a good teaching technique. This is a little rabbit thing here, a little thing here. You take this and a couple of bucks and you can get you a Starbucks coffee. Um... He, if you're a teacher, Paul puts this thing in first person. This is a good thing. Why? To do this if you teach is so you identify as a person who is a sinner saved by grace, able to fall into any sin that anybody else can fall into. There are times that people say, uh, well, they act like they're just perfect. You know what? If you're always using everybody else as an illustration, the people are going to think you're perfect. You've arrived. And then they're going to start thinking you ain't real. Listen, there's nothing under the sun that any one of you cannot step into at any given moment. There's nothing that any human being on this planet cannot step into. I don't care who they are at any given moment. And when I teach, I try to teach it from a first person's 
position. Why? I am guilty of this. I can speak and without love, I am just noisy. And you guys all say, Amen. Amen. There you go. Okay? Paul is basically saying, I, just like you, can do these things without love. Okay? I can use my gift, even if it's languages. You know, Paul had a gift of languages. Did you know that? Chapter 14. Verse 18 says, I thank thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he had the gift. But Paul says, I can fall into this. I could have the languages of men and I could even talk angel talk. And if I don't have love, I am just noisy. Okay, now I want to deal with this term here. The New American Standard translates this word tongues. I think King James, the New King James, I'm not sure what it is. The that bugs me and has bugged me for years. Okay? Um, it isn't a good translation of the word. I mean, the original word in the Greek, it's not a good translation. Tongues. Okay? And I've seen guys get into it. Well, if it has an S on the end, it's this. If it does this, if it's singular, it's this. and all. What? I've looked at the word. It doesn't have a plural standing on it. Whatever, I don't care what text you're looking at. Uh, go with me to Acts um, 2. Because the same word is used here in Acts 2. Verse 1. Many of you know this. This is Pentecost. It's shortly after uh, Passover. Um, there would have been a... Uh, a gee, many crickets... A, a surge of pilgrims in Jerusalem for Passover and it had all been lingering around. And this is what we call the birth of the church. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. All together in one place, probably 120 of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven and has made a promise that God is going to send them the Holy Spirit. They're all hanging around there waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Waiting for the Father's promise. Okay, But the whole city would have surged. Maybe a million or more people in the city of Jerusalem. All right? Um, and then there was this noise that says, and they were all gathered together, and suddenly there came this from heaven, a noise. It was like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. So everybody knows something is up. And, it be, and then it says this, <clears throat> And there appeared to them what? Okay, it says tongues. You know what it really is? Languages. What? Languages of what? Fire. Now let me tell you something. When God walks into your presence, it warms up. Okay? Because the first issue He's going to deal with is you. And that becomes a little bit on the hell side. It's the sound of heaven, like a rushing wind. It filled the house. And it says it began to speak. They were under the influence, the power, the control of the Holy Spirit. The word is glossa, glossa. It's a word that we get the derivative of glossary from. Glossa. It's a language. They spoke in language. They had languages. It's not babble. It's not ecstatic. 
It's not gibberish. Uh, It's not a prayer thing. It's not your own private thing. The text says he spoke what? Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues? No, other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And it says the Spirit rested on each of them. Okay? They had His own language. It was a language. It was an audible language. And here's what was the amazing thing that the people were witnesses. Most of these men were Galileans. And Galileans are the farmers. The hayseeds. The rednecks. And now all of a sudden they're linguists? How'd that happen? That's why there were, everybody was amazed. This guy can speak Persian. Fluent Persian. But he's a Galilean. He raises olives. How can he be bilingual? Verse 8. And how is it? You guys think I was making this up. And how is it that each of them hear them in what? Our own language. It's still glossal. Still the same word. We translated tons. Why? I don't know. The committee who came together with the King James Version came up with the idea. The word doesn't change. All of a sudden now it's languages. Well, why didn't you do it that the first time? Do you know how much confusion would be gone right now if the King James people had a, done a little bit better job? I mean, if you're a King James only kind of person, great. I'm happy for you. Okay? They all spoke in their own language. And then it's really funny because he starts out in the east, then he goes to the west, then he goes to the north, then he goes to the south, and then he gets general with Romans and Cretans. He describes what it is. It ain't angelic babble. What does he say? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Do you know what the people in Asia speak? Asian. Do you see how he did it? Do you understand that? I really wish this stuff that I have heard and this stuff that I've been exposed to, this stuff that they are touting as the gift of tongues is nothing but babble. It can't be interpreted. Who interprets babble? Have you ever seen a one-year-old? And we all are convinced that we know what the little bugger is saying. And you're clueless. You don't know what the little bugger is saying. You know why? The little bugger doesn't know what it's saying. It's making noise. We have grown adults believing that they are filled with the Spirit, making noise, and we all go, Wow, wish I could do that. What language is it? What language is it? Why? Because remember the gift of the language is also one of the gifts of what? Translation. How do you translate babble? See what I'm trying to get at? If I have the ability to speak to the Medes, the Cappadocians, to the Judeans, the Egyptians, the Syrian, the Romans, the Jews, all of these, if I have that ability, and I have not love, they spoke in a language, it's a literal language. It's a described language. Look at verse 11. Cretans and Arabs. Now here's the key to this. The gift of languages has a purpose. It's spirit-filled, right? 
You know what that means? Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, this person, this group of people were so one that the Holy Spirit on each of them let them speak in languages that were not their native tongue. Okay? Cretans and Arabs. And we heard them, what does it say? In our own glossa. And what did they say? They were speaking the mighty deeds of God. Got it? You know what that means? It's translatable. How do I know it's mighty deeds of God if I have no clue what you just said? I, 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 just, I get frustrated with this because we'll see somebody and they'll go over in a corner and go, ha. And we go, man, I wish I had a prayer language. You do, it's English. It is. Every one of you have a prayer language. Exercise it, would you please? Why? They, I want to hear you speak of the wonderful works of God, the mighty deeds of God. There's only one way that I can articulate that to other people, and that is through a language. Listen, the fact that they knew what it was and recognized it in their own language, understand that it is a verbal communication. It's not babble. It's not a static. It's not private. It's not your little closet prayer thing. It's a human language. Glossal, always in the Bible. Over 30 times the term is used, whether it's in Septuagint or whether it's in the New Testament Greek. It's always used of human words. Two times, two times, mark it, two times in your Bible, Glossal does not appear as a normal language. I'll give you the two texts. Isaiah 29, verse 24, and Isaiah 32, verse 4. In both of those texts, it deals with stuttering or stammering. But it's still somebody trying to what? Speak a language. Except for those two texts, it's an intelligent, normal, human language. Okay? Now then, in verses 6 and 8 of Acts chapter 2, you have another term that is used. Okay? Acts chapter 2, I showed you glossal, uh, but there's another term in there that is dialecto. Verse 6 says... And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing it in their own dialecto. Okay? It's a dialect. You know what a dialect is? As you see the same thing um, in, in verse 8. You know what a dialect is? It is a subgroup of a language. You have English. If you go to New England, okay, or the Midwest or the South, they'll all speak English, but they'll all have their own dialect. If you're up in the upper peninsula of Michigan and a guy says, watch this, it's no big deal. If you're down in Georgia and they say, watch this, you need to run. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how the dialect works. Uh, my in-laws will be coming in here in uh, the next few weeks and you're going to hear a dialect. And it is slow. It is. You think I'm kidding you. I've talked to him. It takes my brother-in-law half an hour to say, Hello. It is. And I'm just sitting there. 
You want Dr. Page? <laughs> Why, sure. Here you go, girl. Okay? So when you see this, you will see that there is a dialect and it is a language. And out of the language is a subgroup of, a, uh, of it is a dialect. I mean, it's like they knew that they were from Galatia, uh, the Galilean. Why? They had a dialect. I'm down here in Judea. I live up in Jerusalem. And if I went into Galilee, I would have been able to know they're still speaking my language. But the problem is they have a Galilean dialect. Okay, still the same language. So those classifications would and will and are never used in today's examples. When I see people, quote unquote, using the gift of tongues, none of them ever fit Glasgow or dialecto. None of them. So what is it? It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. It is the flesh. It is the flesh. Normal dialects. And it is a language that will be known by those who heard. Why? Because we are supposed to be taking of the mighty deeds of God. That's your job. That's my job. I don't have anything else to offer. Let me tell you how mighty my God is. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. Tell him that when you see him. Then I hear this argument. Well, Terry, I can agree with you here. But you've got to understand, this is Acts chapter 2. And as the church progressed and grew and all the rest of it, then it changed as it farther went along. And that's what we have today. Really? All right. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. <clears throat> While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the what? To the words. You know what the word is there? Language. They heard it. You know, it's amazing. If, you, if a person can't understand your language and you share with them the gospel, what good will it do? <laughs> it ain't going to do them any good at all. If you've got a person standing in front of you who speaks only Russian and you share with them the mighty deeds of God in English... It'll be great. You can just back away and say, Slava Buga. That is praise God. <laughs> Short message. Okay, what? They were hearing it with languages. Acts chapter 11, verse 15. He comes back to Jerusalem, reports back on the incident that had happened, how the Holy Spirit had God had given gifts. See, here's what had happened. The Jews had received this gift at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, remember? They were seeing these languages. They were in amazement. They were like, whoa, are we blessed God's people or what? Okay? And then God has to show them that all the way through, I mean, you take it all the way over to John, or to Acts chapter 19, verse 6, same situation. Same thing is happening. And there's no reason for it to change. These were disciples of John the Baptist who were living in, uh, in Ephesus. They had even no idea what the what baptism of the Holy Spirit was. Paul shared with them the gospel, what the Holy Spirit was, and they began speaking in what? Languages. Here's the point. Here's the gift. Once it happened in Jerusalem, 
the Jews would say, we have received the Holy Spirit and this marvelous thing. We have this ability to speak in languages that we are not aware of. We didn't know these languages. I did, I did not go to a university and learn Persian. And God says, that's nothing, Jews. So do the Gentiles. They have the ability to speak in languages too. That, that's, that's how he put the church together. And he says, I'm going to do it in such a way you can't even understand it. I'm going to bring Gentiles in. I'm even going to bring disciples of John the Baptist in. And I'm going to bring Jews in. And I'm going to bring them all together and I'm going to weld them all as one. They will be unified. You will be in awe of the person of the Holy Spirit and what he does. One of the problems is if we take the book of Acts and we cut it in half. We say, here, this is Acts of the Apostle Peter and this is Acts of Paul. Truth of the matter is, this whole book is based on the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And if God is unchanging, what does that mean about the Holy Spirit? He's unchanging. He gave all the groups the same experience to weld the whole church into one unit, and it's the same all the way through. There's no change. Okay? Now then, back to your uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, I want you to look at verse 10 of chapter 12, because... He says, there is to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to others various kinds of... I wonder what that word is. Tongues? Or is it glossa? It's glossa. Okay? And to another the interpretation of glossa. Okay? He gave kinds of languages, and to another an ability to translate the languages. Okay? It's normative in the Greek text. Um, you can't translate Babel. All right? And basically the word that you see there to translate is to take something from one lang- language and putting it into its equivalent in another known language. That's what the term there that says the tra- interpretation of the languages. Okay? Now then, I want to give you a little footnote here. Certain people in this congregation are King James people. And I'm not knocking the King James Bible. But if you drop down there to verse 14. No, wait. Is that where I want to go? No, go to chapter 14, verse 14. Because this is the one that gets us into trouble. Okay. Yeah, chapter 14, verse 14. If you got a King James, I, I'm not sure. I forgot to look in the New King James. I did look in King James. Okay, and it says, For if I pray in a unknown tongue. And it what it says? Okay, let me ask you a question. If your word, if you have that translation and you have unknown in there, is it in italics? You know what it means when the word appears in your Bible in italics? It ain't in the original text. Okay, it's like spiritual gifts in chapter 1 or chapter 12, verse 1. It doesn't say spiritual gifts. Gifts is always in italics. It's presumed. It basically just says spirituals. Okay? I do not want you to be ignorant of the spirituals. Okay? And, and, you know, bless them, the King James Committee. I love them. Uh, They're in glory with us. Well, I wish they'd have never done that. Because you can't translate an unknown language. (laughs) You can't do it. All right? So if you've got unknown in your Bible, just look at it and say, it's in italics, you know what, understand this. In the original text, it's not in there. 
Okay. Now, I understand why they got that premise, because it would be the ability, if I all of a sudden just started speaking fluent Ethiopian, that would be an unknown language for me, and me to be able to speak it would be, whoa. And I know some of you are probably saying, I just wish you'd get English down. But the, do you see what I'm trying to get at? It would be unknown to me. Listen, you can go to school right now and learn all kinds of weird languages, okay? But it then becomes a known language to you. Okay? Uh, I have very bits and pieces fragmented of Russian, but I have been in the process of working at it. Okay? Alright. Um, the italics means that it's been added. Back to chapter um, 12, verse 10. It says here, kinds of languages. The word kinds there is genonos, uh, which we get the genesis from or the gene from. And that literally is what we get the family group from. All right. So he's basically saying of races and nations. Okay. That's what the family or group of languages would be. Okay. Now listen, what is the family and groups of Babel or static speech? There ain't one. Any gibberish can be any gibberish that anybody wants to make gibberish. Okay? But there are language families that become national, that become um, of a racial group. Um, You hear it in rap and um, all that other stuff. They get their own. But it comes from a genesis of something. In chapter 14, verse 22, it's 21, it says this, And it is written by the law that men of strange tongues... And by the lips of strangers, and I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And that's where the gift of tongues is called. It's called the prophecy of the gift of tongues. It comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. Isaiah predicted that Israel at this time was going to come, and there would be a people who had a race, they had a nation of language that the Jews would not be able to understand. Okay? Okay, it was fulfilled. It was the Assyrians. They came into Israel. They spoke to the Jews. Do you know what language they used? Assyrian. (laughs) Too many crickets. It ain't that complicated. When they rolled in, they spoke their language. All right. Chapter 14, verse 7. Speaking of these gifts. Verse 6 is our context. But now, brother, if I come to you speaking in tongues, it will profit you unless I speak either in a revelation of knowledge or prophecy. Then he says this in verse 7, Yet even what? Lifeless things, either flute or harp, or uh, in producing sound, if they do not produce distinct tones, it means a structure of distinction. It has to work in a certain way. Have you ever gone to an orchestra? You guys are going to laugh. And seen like a, an orchestra? Okay. Have you ever been there when they get started and everybody's sort of getting the reeds wet and banging on their cymbals and weird stuff like that? It just it sounds like me playing music. Ding, bong, ding, strings and you know, this, doing that and trying to get everything tuned up. And then all of a sudden the conductor comes up and goes, and, then, and they all, and it stops and then they take off and it sounds beautiful. But when you first got there, you sit there and go, good Lord, <laughs> they're getting paid to make that noise? Right? You know what I'm talking about? That is what is meant by this word, kinds, and it's a structure. 
It's a structure. And he's basically saying if you're playing a musical instrument and you don't play the structure, what do you have? Noise. It's chaos. He drops on down in the same thought there in verse 23. And we'll deal with this more in depth in the weeks to come. But he says you have chaos. If you've got all this going on in, in, the, in the fellowship and everybody's talking in, in some kind of babble, static garbage, he says when the lost come in, what do they think? They think that you've lost your mind. So it's a genuine, true language with a true translation. And it was a true miracle. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of spirituals. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Do we understand that now? Okay, now back to your text. He says, but what about the language of angels? Thought you would never ask. You know, what happens if a person goes beyond the human language and gets into the angelic? You know, and it's, it's personal, it's private, it's devotional. Well, let me ask you a question. Is that what Paul's saying here? Okay. Angel talk? Well, let me explain to you something about the angel, uh, the language of angels. First and foremost, it's nowhere in the Bible. First and foremost. Listen, anytime an angel ever communicates with a man in the Bible, how does he do it? He talks in their language. I mean, if the angel come up to me and starts talking angel talk, I ain't going to get it. The only language that we know that is apart from the human language is the language that happens between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Romans 8. He makes intercession there. He is spirit. So what do you hear? I don't hear nothing. And he tells me in Romans 8, not only can't you hear it, it can't be uttered. And that's an amazing statement. It's so deep, you can't get it. No, you can't hear it. It means it's nonverbal. It don't make a noise. So what would that language be? Quiet. (laughs) That's what it is. It's just quiet. It's silent. Angels are ministering spirits, aren't they? That's what it says, right? I don't know how they communicate. The Bible don't tell me how they communicate. All right? No angel language or babbling or anything like that. And I am of the firm belief that here he says, and of angels, he's speaking. If you you have a language of angels, he's speaking in a hyperbole. You know what that is, right? Okay, hyperbole is an exaggeration for effect. Okay, it's like when we say, man, there was like billions of them. Really? Did you count billions of them? No, there could have been a hundred of them, but it looked like billions. Okay, it's hyperbole. Okay, or zillions, zillions. Is that, how many is that? Like all of them. Okay, I believe it's hyperbole. And here's the reason I believe it's hyperbole. Look in verse 2. Okay, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know what? Okay, now think about that for a second. All mysteries? All mysteries. Paul, you tell me you know all mysteries? Okay, look what else he says. If I have all knowledge. Paul, 
You got all knowledge? Is it capable this side of heaven to have all mysteries and all knowledge? No. He's in the same thought though when he says, if I have angel talk, is it hyperbole? Well, having all mysteries and having all knowledge, oh, what if you have all faith? Well, how's come Paul didn't move mountains? I mean, he talks about dying going up over that one ridge of mountains, about killing. Why didn't he say, I have all faith, move mountain? I'm walking through here. Why? It's hyperbole. Okay. Um, If I have the gifts of speaking and I do not have love, I am noisy. I just clang. That's all I have. Listen, I want to share this and I'm going to close it up with this. I want you to think about this. We've looked at this in depth. I mean, we've looked at this and some of you are probably saying, dude, we are so in depth with the gifts. I'm ready to move on to Philemon. No. Okay. But I want you to think of it. Listen, you guys are the ones who got into this. I asked you, is there ignorance in the body of Christ over spiritual gifts? And every single one of you said yes. So I said, well, let's make a note that when we walk away from this, we will no longer be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So it's your fault. All right, anyway, that's that grumbling thing. Be careful of that grumbling. The ground opened up and got the Levites. Anyway, um, I'll stand back. (laughs) No. I want you to think about this. We looked at gifts and we've seen that gifts are for one purpose and one purpose only. They're given to the individual so that the individual will do what? Give it to everyone that he's exposed or she is exposed to. My gift is for you. Your gifts are for me. Okay? That is an act of selflessness. Okay? What's the basis of that? Love. If you have the gift of speak, a speaking gift, and you have not love, you're just noisy, clanging. That's all you are. That's all you got. You can talk. You can turn a phrase. You can have the best illustrations. You can have the best practical truths that exist. But let me tell you something. If you have not love, you're just noise. You're just noise. You're no different than my motorcycle. My motorcycle just makes noise. That's all you accomplish. You don't accomplish as much as my motorcycle. My motorcycle can get me from point A to point B. Okay, the love that I'm talking about is an act of selflessness. It is an act of the will. And every single one of you in this room right now are fighting with God's will. Because it never quits. I was talking about this in my Sunday school class. I don't understand why people want to prolong their life. Why do I want to live longer? Why? Listen, at some point I get out of this and I don't have to struggle with me no more. I like that idea. 
Because every chance my body has the chance to raise up its fleshly head, what do you think it does? Just jumps right up. And you get it and you sit down, shut up, and you're in the back, you ain't driving, and da da da. da. But I got to ask, and I'm going to close with this. We looked last week. If you weren't here, you left downloaded or something. The only time that Jesus Christ ever struggled, physically expelled energy, expended. And I mean, he uses some terminology in original language that just absolutely scare you. I'm grieving in my soul to the point of death. That's strong terminology. The only time that he ever did that when he was dealing with the will of the Father. If possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will. Yours be done. If possible, let this cup pass from me. Not my will. Yours be done. And there was a war. Big time war. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever grieved in your soul where it almost felt like it was going to kill you? Over the will of God in your life? That's the love that is being spoken of here. That love of God poured in my heart by the person of the Holy Spirit allows me to go to the garden and say, you know what? Your plan is better than my plan. Not my will. Yours be done. And once you step in that garden, you're going to realize the joy and the peace and the gentleness and the kindness and the patience and the endurance. And against such things, there is no law. Why? Because you will be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And you'll start exercising your gift and you'll never even know you're doing it. You'll never even know you're doing it. Most people's gifts that I spot is because they have surrendered in such a way that it is no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. And they're busy about doing the will of God. That's what the Galatian letter was written for. You've begun in the spirit, you're not perfecting it in the flesh. And I look at the church today and say, yep, that's what we're doing. You know what? And the motive is, bless your hearts. The motive is honorable. You really think you can do it? You really believe that you can study your Bible, pray a little bit, attend certain classes, maybe get your degree or something in Bible or whatever you do, and now all of a sudden you're going to be more holy? You're going to be more Christ-like? Nah. My question for you all today Have you been to the garden? Gethsemane, you know what that means? Olive press. I've seen them things. Nasty little inventions. When you take it from the spiritual side and you see that God will literally take a stone and grind you to see what comes out. Have you been to the garden? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the love that you've given us. Thank you for the example of love. 
and that you so loved us that you gave your only son. Father, thank you that your plan is unfolded before our very souls, before our very lives. And that, Father, that you've empowered us to love, Father, only the way you love. I do not grasp that. And yet it is to your glory, it is to your praise, it is to your awesome work that it all comes together. My King, my Savior, my Lord, help us. Help us to love as you loved us first, even when we were yet sinners, haters of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.